Well, joining me now is Rashid Smilia. He's a professor and Canada Research Chair in Interdisciplinary Ocean and Fisheries Economics at the Institute for Oceans and Fisheries and the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Last year, the provincial government said they were allowing Richmond, Victoria, Saanich, Tofino and Uculit to implement their their bans on single-use plastics by approving bylaws that each municipality has already passed. How significant is that? Yeah, I think it's a very good first move. I mean, yeah, so... Once that starts, you know, the beauty of, of Canada and is that once something starts in the municipality and we see, usually before you start, people are very worried, businesses are worried, but you implement it in one place and then we see that actually the costs are far less than what people thought and that can then lead to replication in the, in the province, in the country. So it's good. Yeah, and right now the youth, one of them who we just heard from, are pushing the provincial government to allow municipalities to implement their own laws rather than it be the B.C. government having the last say. Do you agree with that? Yeah, there is. I think there's value in that because, you know what, people in their neighborhoods, they see what plastic can do, the single use, use and then throw out and we see it mess up our neighborhoods and so on. So it's closer to the people, you know, and when decisions are closer to people in these cases, actually that can lead to better decisions. So, yeah, there is some merit in that. Hmm. All right, well, let's head to Dawson Creek. Uh, let's open the lines, head to Dawson Creek and go to Bruce. Hello. Hi there, Bruce. What what are your questions or comments with regarding banning single-use plastics in the province? Well, I'm just concerned about the plastic tampon applicators. I kind of find those awkward. And uh, the thing with it is that they're very affordable, but the, uh, the, the ones that are organic and whatnot, I prefer those, but they're very expensive uh, with spirit poverty and whatnot. And uh, I was just wondering what you could do for me and Justin Trudeau in that department. Hmm. Thank you so much, Bruce. I don't know if this is a question you can you can answer, Rashid. But Doctor, sorry, Mr. Rashid. But um, is it in the 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 banning? Are people calling for this as well? He's talking about plastic tampon applicators to be included in a single use plastic ban. Is that something that you've heard as well? Yeah, specifically that one I haven't heard, right? Yeah, I know the country, Canada had some six uh, in the list, but I I didn't see this specifically. And I may may be mistaken. I just don't know exactly Hmm. what with that, yeah. Right. Um, and just before we get to our next caller, you know, we know Canada is banning plastic straws, uh, bags, cutlery, and other single-use items by the end of this year. How significant or how big of an impact will that have on the environment? I think it's going to have, a, it's going to be significant because the Vancouver Aquarium which is now called Ocean Wise, they, they did a study and among the top 10 um, plastic uh, leftovers they see in the environment are actually, these six are up there among the top 10, top 15. So that study alone tells me that this is going to be significant. Hmm. All right. Well, let's head to another caller, Michael in Vancouver. Hello. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. What is what is your question for Rashid Smilia today? 
Yes, my question is, I'm, I'm, I go into a grocery store, and I'm pretty sure 80% of the items are wrapped in plastic. And these are all, I mean, they're single-use because there's nothing you can do but throw them away, and they're non-recyclable. I'm talking about the, the bags that things come in, the individual packages. Um, are these going to be covered under this Canadian ban? And if so, like, if not, how are we able to hold these companies responsible? I mean, my trash is just completely filled. The only thing that it's filled with is plastic these days. Hmm. Yeah, that's actually such a, a good point that I can relate to you as well, Michael. I, I live in an apartment and the plastic, there's like three bins of plastic recycling and they're always overflowing. Um, what do you make of that, Rashid? Yeah, I, I think this is a really good question. I mean, and to deal with the plastic problem, we have to deal at different levels, you know. And and I, I'm on the, on the board of uh, Oceana, which is the largest ocean focus NGO to protect our ocean and make sure our fish will be there not only for us but for future generations. And you know the we, we the, the the organization is really talking with Amazon right now. They they've had a meeting in fact there was a, an article in the New York Times last week about their effort because they believe they have to go to the big producers. The source of this just like the caller has said and we need a big effort at that level, you know. So I love this question. You have to take the big, the big uh, sources. Otherwise, all our little efforts at the individual level will not add up to too much, right? So great question. More action is needed there. And we need everybody, the NGOs, we need citizens. Write to your member of parliament and say, let's hold these companies. Let's get them to find alternatives. And Amazon has actually promised that they will start working on They have all the PhDs, they have the money, they can do the research and really find substitutes for this that don't destroy our environment. Thank you for the question. Mm-hmm. Great question. Well, I am speaking to Rashid Smilia. He is a professor and research chair in interdisciplinary ocean and fisheries economics at the Institute for Oceans and Fisheries and the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia. And we want to hear from you on this as well. Do you think all single-use plastics like plastic bags, styrofoam containers, and plastic stir sticks should be banned? Are you a business who finds the move costly? Give us a call across the province, 1-800-825-5950 in Metro Vancouver, 604-669-360. 733 by cell phone star or pound 690. You can also tweet us at BC Today or email us at bctoday at cbc.ca. We do have an email from Terry who is asking about meat trays. He says, yes, I understand the polystyrene is recyclable, but nobody does. They throw the bloody meat tray and diapers in the trash uh, and make their dinner. What are your thoughts on that? It's a question that I'll get to maybe after you answer that with regards to what is actually recyclable and what sort of gets, I guess, shipped out of country to be, I guess, dumped other places. But but yeah. what's your question or what's your comment around his comment about the meat trays? Yeah, so so I I think I think I believe that we have oversold recycling, and I think that is the point the caller is making. Uh, I've seen data that shows that in the U.S., for example, only about eight percent of the plastic is actually recycled. You know, so and that is not much given all the effort. We all are happy to put things in different cups, but they they don't act much. So so we over oversell it. 
And what we need is really working hard to find alternatives, find alternatives. The thing about plastic is 50 years ago, it wasn't so ubiquitous all over, right? We had ways of dealing, taking care of our things by and large. It's only in the last 50 years that the production has just zoomed, right, because of all sorts of cheapness and so on. So alternatives, recycling has been a disappointment to me so far. Hmm. And yeah. before we get to the next call, caller, you've done a tremendous amount of research on the effects of plastics on oceans. Is there a specific product that is the most harmful? Is it, or is it sort of like you say, the, the entirety of this um, society that we live in right now that is so focused on speed and, and mass production? Yeah, you know, the thing that really worries me about plastic is that it's, it, it lives forever. It's so the, the, the way they, they, they manufacture it to make it cheap is to put in chemicals that let them live for so long. So you throw it away, you use and throw it away, and it gets into the ocean, for example. It stays there forever, and then it breaks down into microplastic. And the fish see this, they think it's his food, it's algae. They eat them, it pollutes them. And actually, there's more and more evidence that this pollution of the uh, marine resources actually gets to us when we eat the fish. So, mm. so that really is very bothersome because there you go. It's going to be there forever. Fish get destroyed and then people get sick. Mm. Yeah. Right. Mm. Wow. Well, let's uh, go to Mill Bay where Richard is on the line. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? And and what's your question for our guest today with regards to single-use plastics? I'm a food processor, a small food processor uh, in on Vancouver Island. And if you look at all of the ships that have containers in them piled high, every one of those containers are with skids or pallets of jars of other containers of boxes, and they are all wrapped with single-use plastic. So there's a difference between single-use plastic and number five. Um, What are we going to do about the single-use plastic that is absolutely packed in wrapping uh, of skids? Hmm. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, What are your thoughts about that, uh, Rashid? Yeah, Richard, you say, what do we do with them? We take them out too. Otherwise, again, we won't see the kind of changes we are really looking at. You have to go for, you remember my example about Amazon. So you have to really focus on these big, big sources of the of the pollutant. And so that's the way to go. We highlight, highlight it. The question is great because this is how we get the information to the policymakers. This is not about just the little things. And my heart goes to the small businesses, right, who really are doing their best to keep livelihoods going. And so we need to deal with the, the, big, the big ones, the big sources. And, and that's a very good example that, that needs attention. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for that call, Richard. And we're going to go over to Asoyus. And uh, hello to Natasha. Um, I'm a high school teacher, and uh, 20 years ago, I started a club at our high school around the environment, and and the students discovered through their research that there are Scandinavian countries at that time um, that had put it onto the manufacturers to be responsible for the packaging that they used, Um, and so if a consumer 
didn't want to take home um, the box of cereal that's the, the bag of cereal that's in the box of cereal. Um, there was a place where they could actually leave that leave that box or that plastic container. Um, and it was the responsibility of the manufacturer of, um, of that product to, to take, to take it away and dispose of it responsibly. And Hmm. I think, um, I think it comes down to the manufacturers. We can't, it's all been put down onto the consumers. Um, we need to hold the manufacturers accountable as well. Thank you so much, Natasha. That's really interesting. I I don't know if you're able to, if you know about that, Scandinavian countries made it uh, manufacturer's responsibility to deal with their plastic problem. Uh, Do you know anything about that? And what do you think about it? Oh, yes. I mean, uh, and that is a principle from economics, you know, because uh, we we say that let the polluter pay, let the polluter, polluter deal with their pollution. So that is where that uh, policy comes from. And it's such right on. I mean, so you do the manufacturing, you get your profits and whatever. Make sure you take care of your pollution, your pollutant, your plastic. So that's a beautiful uh, thing backed with economic theory, and we need to do that. And the, the caller, the, the, the stress on the manufacturers, I, I like it. Sometimes we put too much burden on individuals, right? But this is why mm. we have this is why we have government. This is why we have institutions because the individual in his or her day to day, there's already too much to deal with. It's our authorities have to make sure these things don't get into the environment. They don't get into the market. That's why we have government. So that's a very good focus. We need to have policies that make uh, manufacturers take care of their pollution. And, and we need that policy at the governmental level, whether it's the federal government, it's our provinces or the municipalities. So these are really great questions from the public, and I love them. We all have to be engaged in this way in order to get the change we want. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, take another call. Let's uh, go to Maple Ridge, and Sandra is with us on the line there. Hello. Hi. Um, I just wanted to mention, um, although this book isn't entirely about plastics, um, the section that talked about plastic in the book called The Right to be Cold, One Woman's Story of Protecting Her Culture, the Arctic, and the Whole Planet, Mm. the section on plastics and the wide-ranging effect, no matter where you live, um, especially for the North, I have still, and I read it five years ago, when I walk into any retail establishment, I view consumer products through completely different eyes ever since reading that book. Hmm. Not that I was a huge plastic consumer in the first place, but the, the view it gave me and the realization of, especially in you know major centers, what we do, the effects, where they were finding plastics where such things had never existed before in animals that never would have ingested them, except for the um, fact that I guess through you know air currents and um, water currents, it travels. I I will never, ever look at it. So when I look at things like Easter just came and went, when you see packaging and some little plastic toy on top of the Mm. candy, and that is garbage, that there is no recyclable for that. I just I can't I can't see anything through through different eyes. So um, I will admit the book does have sections that are very dry and a little (laughs) little little um, a bit of a slog to read. But I am very glad I read it. And for anybody who wants to view plastics through different eyes. The right to be cold. Thank you so much, Sandra. And 
And uh, Rashid, I know you only have you're only with us till to till twelve fifty five. But do you have time to take one last caller? Oh yes, let's do it. Oh, this is so exciting. Excellent. Let's go. Let's love go. it. Love it. Love somebody who can play ball. Let's go to uh, Creston then, where Dave is on the line. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling us. What are your comments today with regards to well, single-use plastics? The recycling uh, industry in BC is a six hundred million dollar. Uh, programs for stewardships and has absolutely no oversight. And my biggest example would be Recycle BC, who has been in business since uh, May of uh, 2014. If you look at their last uh, annual report, they're holding on to $70 million. This is a non-for-profit stewardship. Mm. What's going on? And Dave, do I understand this right? Do you own a depot? Yes, I do. Right. Um, okay, well, for 21 years. For 21 years. Wow. Um, the, de- the deposit system is the best performing stewardship in BC. Mm-hmm. And we could add things to it. Come uh, February 2022, milk and milk substitutes will be put into the program. But hmm. there could be an awful lot more packaging that could be taken that way. And the deposit system, you know, I put thousands of dollars back into our local economy every day by giving refunds. And people bring this stuff in because it has a deposit. That's a really, really good point. Like it's, a, you're, you're talking about it's an incentive to recycle, then, right? Yeah, that's and if, correct. And if this but, was utilized with other products, we would a, a lot more people would be on board with recycling, especially single use. Right. So the other thing is, is that the deposit system brings people in and it puts money back into local economies. And it should be expanded to its full potential. And the more items are in there, the more bottle depots that will be able to be supported, especially in small uh, uh, companies or uh, towns. Uh, Stewardships are not paying for the full cost. Uh, Recycle BC here in Creston is probably going to cover maybe half of it. And we have been talking to local ministries, and they do see this, but... To do the legislation seems to be difficult for them to contain it. But there is no incentive for a stewardship such as uh, uh, Encorp. Why would they want to get it to 90% when they're recovering 75%? Where's that uh, 25% of deposits going? Hmm. Take a look at their annual reports. That's such a great point. Thank thank you so much for the call, Dave. Um, Rashid, what do you make of what he's saying? Uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Or have you seen other policy initiatives in other countries where they're doing this and it's having a great impact on, you know, as he said, the economy as well as the environment? You know, I think he's right on. This is a, we need to find clever ways to do to do things, and that's a, a good example, right? And Scandinavia has been has been called Norway has this system where where if you if you create a pollutant, you are taxed, and then the one who has to clean it actually gets paid to do it. So so this is this are, there are we need to have find clever ways of dealing with this to create incentives, like the gentleman just said. To get the local economy to benefit from cleaning up their own neighborhoods, right? And and I love it. It's it's, it's great. Uh, and and if I have a, a few minutes, I just want to talk to the to the lady who talked about the book. Am I? Is that okay? Can I make a comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love her example, and and she just touched on something. And this is what keeps people like me in our business. We work. 
X number of hours in the day, right? You know, because when you write a nice piece and somebody, like she said, reads it, and that changes the way you relate to, to life and to something. It, it's, it's what drives most of us, right, in research and academic work. And, and so I was happy and, 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 and very glad to hear that. Actually, if I may just plug in, there is a, a book I'm doing, and the title of the book is Infinity Fish. You know, infinity fish, how do we make our fisheries to continue forever and for? And all boils down to the way we, the people, see our fish, how we value the fish, what we put value on. And so I, I just love her example. And then please, let's do more reading and hopefully we'll find ideas to help us make our world a better place. Yeah, and on that note, we've actually, we had a caller and an, an emailer who's talking about the plastics actually used in the commercial fishing industry. Um, they're, they're actually pointing to to a documentary called Sea, sea Piracy, talking about overfishing and that having an impact on the environment. But we had someone also talking about the, the plastics used in the commercial fishing industry. Do you know about that? Yeah, you know, there is a lot of abundant gear. Uh, in the ocean, right, by the fishing industry. There was a recent uh, study that actually estimated really huge amounts of, of of plastic leftover because once the gear is maybe taken down by whatever, an animal or a ship, they just abandon it because it's costly right, then to bring it on shore. And that's a big part of the ocean plastic pollution. Yes, that's, uh, yeah, it's happening. So... Right. All right. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. But thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I really love doing this. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Rashid Somali, Somalia is a professor and Canada Research Chair in Interdisciplinary Ocean and Fisheries Economics at the Institute for Oceans and Fisheries and the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia.